Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. I'm turning your Bibles this morning, if you would, into a book uh, that's in the New Testament. Um, the, the Bible is comp- comprised of, of the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? And uh, the New Testament is going to be further to the, the right, all right? And you're going to flip through there. And uh, it starts off with a book called Matthew. You have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and then after that, it begins to go into a name Paul wrote. And we're going to go to a book called First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. And uh, so just kind of scroll through there and tell you, if you go to Titus and Timothy and things like that, you've gone too far. I would start all the way at Genesis and go through it, but for time's sake, we won't. But First Thessalonians, as you're turning there, and if you need help, go to the front of your Bible, find that little table of contents that'll help you out. But as you're going there, lots of great things coming up, man, over the next couple of weeks. Every summer here at Canvas Church, we do our best to, to do two things. One, to build community. That's what I talked about that we're going to do after church today. To build community, build relationship with one another, get to know each other on a deeper level. Um, but the second thing we do is we like to do something in the community. We like to reach out. So last year, uh, right here at Mission Bay High School, we did a school beautification day. And we went through and painted stuff and cleaned and just made the place look fantastic right before school started. Well, this year we're partnering with the San Diego Dream Center. And we're going to go on two major outreaches with them. And so um, just check out our website. I think some of it's in your program. It's coming up. Um, I believe it's going to be on the, correct me if I'm wrong, the 19th. Of, uh, of this month. We're going to be heading downtown partnering with them. But if that's something you like to do, if you like to get out and reach people, maybe you don't like that, I encourage you to get outside of your comfort zone, go down to the streets of San Diego. It's going to be awesome. And so um, lots of that taking place. All right. This week, though, is super exciting because this week uh, we're getting ready for next week, which is going to be Sid the Kids roller skating on the screen. Okay. They're actually going to be here roller skating on stage. It's crazy. Not really. We're doing baby dedications, and, uh, and we are dedicating so many kids this year. There's like 10 or 11 kids that we're dedicating to the Lord. Some of them are taking place right here at Mission Bay, right in this stage right here. But then we also have our, um, our next preview service for our North County campus. And so we're going to do five of them up there uh, because they live up that way. And, uh, and so if you're here and you're wondering which kids those are, you might just have to come to both services, all right, if you want to support and celebrate. Uh, but it's going to be a crazy week. Also, on that Sunday, uh, we're going to watch the Netherlands win the World Cup. So, I mean, it's, it's a, fantastic, a fantastic day all the way around. Are you with me today? Is anybody even watching the World Cup? Okay, some of you are. I got hooked on it. I'm, I'm not a soccer, a soccer player at all. I can't kick and run at the same time. It's just something I can't do. I can dribble the ball and run at the same time, but kick and run, not going to happen. I'll trip over my feet. But man, watching the soccer games this year, man, I'm totally, I've become a soccer fan, and then I'll lose it, and four years later, I'll become a soccer fan again. It'd be awesome. So, 1 Thessalonians, we're going to start in chapter 1, and uh, we're going to take a chapter a week, and we're going to go through 1 Thessalonians, and then we're going to go through 2 Thessalonians. And uh, one of the great themes that we're going to pick up in the books of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians is this idea of hope. And uh, it's, it's throughout the whole entire, it's the, both books, man, it's just filled with hope. And a guy named Paul wrote this uh, to the church in Thessalonica. And so what we have here, we call the book, was actually originally a letter to a bunch of new Christians. And in this letter, Paul tries to encourage them throughout his writings, uh, encouraging them to hope 
in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is actually probably one of Paul's very first letters that he wrote. He wrote other letters such as Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, and uh, he wrote those to those churches in those areas. But this is actually one of his very first writings that he wrote. This is one of his very first letters uh, that he wrote to these new converts, and it was written about 18 years after the death of Jesus Christ. Paul writes it in kind of a hurry because he was only able to be with these people in Thessalonica for about three weeks. And in three weeks, they're with a guy named Timothy and a guy named Silas. Um, they did a, a great work, and people came to know Jesus. But then Paul had to leave with uh, Silas and Timothy uh, because they were being persecuted for what they were preaching. And so they're only there for weeks, and then they, they left. Some might need to get me another mic because this one's cutting out kind of bad. Um, and uh, they had to leave, okay? And a couple of things you might want to know about it. It's one of the shortest books, First Thessalonians is. Uh, only 79 verses in it. But in those 79 verses, once again, it's filled with hope. He writes once again to the church of Thessalonica to instill hope in them, but also to set in order some, uh, some biblical mandates, some biblical standards. These are new converts. He only spent three weeks with them. It's hard to pick up a lot in three weeks. And so he writes in this letter to set some things in order. So let's read it. First Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and you're going to see that he's writing to them. They, they are now actually uh, beginning to uh, uh, go under the persecution that Paul was under as well, and so they're in a difficult season, a difficult time, and, uh, and so he addresses that also. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, and it reads, Paul and Timothy. Now, that's Silas, okay? That's just another way of saying it. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Who is Paul? He's an apostle of God. Uh, he got converted on the road to Damascus. You can read about that in a book that comes before this one, in the book of Acts. And he gets converted, radically transformed uh, by a revelation from God. And then he gets uh, some sons in the faith. One of them is Silas. He's raising these guys up, much like you saw these school of ministry students here this morning. Uh, that would be Silas and that would be Timothy. They got trained up and raised up to do the work of the ministry. So now they're traveling with Paul and they're in Thessalonica and uh, they do a great work. And to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here we are. Now we see it as verses, but this is just the first couple sentences that Paul is writing to this church. And right in those first couple sentences, Paul mentions uh, the three most fundamental tenets of Christianity. Okay? Uh, these are the most fundamental things that, uh, that we as Christians ought to live by. The first one is this thought of faith. What is that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Our trust is in him. And, and it says here that we're remembering your work of faith. It's a work. They're working to get other people to know Jesus Christ. And your labor of love. Another tenet of the Christian faith is love. That, you know, for God so loved the world. Now that he loved us, we're going to go love the world back. We're loving people into the kingdom of God. And notice that he says this is a labor, by the way. Are you with me? Now, how many here this morning, you know that loving somebody can be 
labor sometimes, okay? How many know that loving your wife sometimes can be labor? Okay, no hands went up on that one. Unbelievable, okay? Wives, how many know that loving your husband sometimes can be extreme labor? Okay, we got more honest women than we do men. All right, that's fantastic. Loving your children sometimes can feel like labor, okay? How about all the single people? Finding that one that you want to fall in love with for the rest of your life. I mean, that can be a lot of work. I guess there's no single people. We got a couple single people. All right. Okay. And so he recognizes that it's a labor. It's work, but it's part of what we are to do. And then he, he finishes this statement with this last one. And he says, and steadfast of hope. Steadfast. That's the word endurance. This endurance of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ. Highlight that in your mind. We're going to come back to that thought. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we, we proved to be among you for your sake. And we became imitators. You became imitators of us in, of, of, uh, in much affliction. Excuse me. And became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know, there's some words in here I'm not really appreciating very much, right? Labor, endurance, affliction. This is, he's writing to them because these are the things they're they're going through. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and this other place. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, In these areas, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, which was a good reception at first, and then persecution from others. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And that is the hope of preaching the gospel. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, we can look back uh, into into the past and see what was happening in the church. That we can read a a letter that was written to some young believers in a place called Thessalonica. And we can read that today and see that they were going through some difficulties to see that they were going through some hardships, to see that they were young in their faith and they need so, someone to, to encourage them, to, to, to urge them on in the work of the ministry, that they needed someone to, to talk to them uh, in, in a real simple way to give them a hope that produces endurance. So, Lord, it's my prayer this morning that each and every one of us would, would grab on to something out of this first chapter that would give us a hope that produces endurance so that no matter what we're going through, God, a difficult season, a good season, a trying season, a, a prosperous season, whatever it is, that more than that, we would be able to endure in our spiritual journey in, in the hope that one day we would be with Christ for eternity. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Has anybody in here ever been in an uncomfortable place before? Yeah, okay, most of us, right? Uh, an uncomfortable place, uh, something that, that maybe causes a little anxiety, a little uncertainty. Uh, maybe you're in a place that, uh, you know, you're not, you're not sure, man, how is this thing going to 
turn out? How is this going to work out? What, what's the outcome going to be? Uh, how many of you guys have ever ran in a race before? Like, not, not just like, you know, like a 100 meter, but like, let's just say like a marathon. You've ran something long distance before, okay? I don't do long distance running. I watch other people do that. Um, I can run from, you know, the couch to the fridge. I'm good with that. Are you with me? Uh, in between goals in the World Cup, which I don't really have to sprint for. But. And I'm not really much, but I watch people, and they, they run these distances, and there's something they need, and it's this thing called endurance, right? And they can train all they want, and they do, hopefully, unless they're just natural runners. Uh, but they train, uh, they prepare their, their body, uh, they rest their body, they fuel their body. But when you're in the middle of running that race, when you're in the middle of running that marathon, uh, you can't stop and rest. Are you, I mean, I guess you could, but if you're running competitively, you're going to be kind of back a ways, right? It's not like you can stop in the middle of that and then uh, go ahead and work out real quick to try to get some more endurance, right? No, you're in the middle of this thing, and then the, the only thing that keeps you going is the thought of the finish line. Are you with me? Okay? You ever been, maybe you're not a runner, so that doesn't relate to you, but you've been in an uncomfortable situation. And the only, the only thing that keeps you walking through that uncomfortable situation is the thought of what's on the other side. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Many of you don't know this about me, but I have, I have a couple of fears. Um, and you're like, well, pastor, it's not good to fear. It's not biblical to fear. Shut up. I have a couple of fears. One of those fears, I have a fear of heights. Now, I know that's ironic because I'm very tall, okay? And so when I first, you know, could walk, I was scared to stand up. So I was like, whoa, you know, it's a long ways down there. And, and people don't understand my fear of heights, but when I'm standing on this platform and my wife, it's about like, like two feet higher up to me than it is to her, right? Because I'm looking down. It's, I'm, I'm scared of heights, all right? And so like my way, legs get wobbly. Ever, ever had that happen to you before? It freaks me out, okay? And I've kind of gradually overcome that a little bit. Um, but that's one of the things. Like, I have to have, like, a huge guardrail just to make me feel I have a fear of height. Another fear I have is confined spaces. Nobody feels me on that one. All right. I don't know where it came from, probably in the womb, but I get claustrophobic in, in, in confined spaces. I don't, I don't like them very much, and, and I start to get hot and sweaty, and I start to hyperventilate. And I just don't like confined spaces. Well, because of that, it's led into other fears. Yes, it's open confessional this morning, okay? It's led into other fears like fear of elevators because now we've just combined heights with confined spaces. Are you with me? Two combos I'm not really good with. And I remember I went to Columbia uh, with Camillo. And, uh, and uh, this was a while ago before he's even married. And I was over there doing Caleb and Joe's wedding. And if anybody ever wants to get married, like, you know, do a destination wedding, let me know. I'm cool with those. I will fly out there on your bill, and I will do your wedding, okay? And I was out there, and uh, we went up in this elevator, and I, I kid you not, the elevator up to his place is the size of this podium. And I know there's somebody like, whatever. No, I'm serious. It is that small, and he can, he can verify that. And so he goes, hey, I'm on the, you know, whatever floor, and I'm like, sweet. And all of a sudden, the elevator opens up, and I'm like, dude, are there stairs? Because... Ah, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And sure enough, I was fine, but it, was, it just felt like forever going up. Well, I remember one time getting on an elevator in downtown San Diego. I was actually doing another wedding, and it was on the top floor, which was only like five or six floors high. Um, but the wedding was ending, and, 
and I was feeling lazy, and I didn't feel like taking the stairs, and plus the elevator was, you know, it was a decent-sized elevator, and, and so me and my wife, we get in, and then I turn around, and about 40 more people pile on to the point where they got on, and the elevator drops a little bit. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay? Now, the bad thing is I would have got off, but I'm trapped in the corner. I kid you not, I'm trapped in the corner. I see the door. There's people all around me. My wife looks at me because she knows, and she goes, you okay? And I'm like, <laughs> true story. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm just, I, I, so I just, I just take a couple deep breaths. I, I, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I started thinking about all the books I read my daughters, you know, and I'm sitting there, and people get on, door closes, and the elevator drops a little bit. I'm just like, oh, dear Jesus. And then it gets stuck, and it's not moving. Anybody feel my pain right now? It gets stuck, and it's not moving. And I literally am almost panicking, and my wife's like, you okay? I said, no, I'm about to, I'm about to kill everybody because they're breathing my oxygen. <sighs> I'm pretty sure in tight spaces, <sighs> the oxygen, people breathe slowly. Breathe slowly. Oxygen conservation. People are looking at me like, my wife just smiles. Okay. And these thoughts are going through my mind. I kid you not. And I'm just thinking, we got to conserve oxygen. I was like, oh, my God, how long is this going to take? What happens if I have to go to the bathroom? Like every fear starts entering. What happens if there's a weirdo on here? Like, oh, I'm that guy. Right? And I'm literally freaking out. And at that moment, the only thing that kept me sane at that moment was the hope of getting off the elevator. I kid you not. I... My faith, I mean, I know how elevators work, right? Little pulley systems with squirrels. You know what I'm talking about, right? I, I know how elevators work, but my faith in how an elevator worked was not helping me at that moment. It was not giving me any confidence. It was not, it was not helping me get through this moment. The only thing that helped me get through that moment in that situation, in that uncomfortable moment, was the hope that I would be able to walk off of it any moment. Are you with me? Now, it, it, it felt like hours to me, and it was probably 30 seconds, right? But it felt like hours, and all I could think about is I just closed my eyes, and I was just like, okay, we're going to be off soon, we're going to be off soon, we're going to be off soon, we're going to be off soon. And the idea of being able to get off that elevator kept me sane. Are you with me? When Paul writes this new baby church, only been with them for three weeks, when Paul writes this new baby church, he visits these, these fundamental tenets of Christianity, and he says, hey, guys, it's come to my attention that, man, you have been doing the work of faith, and I commend you for that. Man, that's awesome. Man, keep it's work, I know, but, man, keep telling other people about Jesus. Keep going in the faith. Keep promoting that. That's awesome. And, and I know, guys, I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy. I know it's been a labor of love. I know that, man, it really is love that compels us to do the work of faith. But then he finishes it off with this thought, and he says, hey, and by the way, man, you're going to need this endurance that comes through hope. In this race, in this journey of faith, in this, in this thing we call Christianity, there are three fundamentals, faith, love, but there is going to need to be some hope that produces some endurance and you and in me. And, and I don't know about you, but I've been in church for a long time, and I hear people preach about faith 
all the time, right? To the point where if you are struggling with something, you just, you just got to have more faith, brother. Amen. You just got to have faith, more faith, sister. Oh, you're sick? Well, it's because you don't have enough faith, okay? And we hear faith preached about all the time. And we even hear this other thought of love, right? It's all about love. I want to know what love is. And most of the people in here are like, I've never heard that song before. Unless you're over 35. Come on, somebody. Right? And we hear messages preached about love, and, and it's good because it's one of the tenets, and, and we need to adhere to that, and it's how we walk out our faith. Right? They, they'll know we are Christians by our love because we love people. I mean, who wants to come to a grumpy, angry, unloving church? Don't raise your hand, because there might be some of you in here, and I'm not going to look around. But one that you rarely hear talked about is this idea of hope. This idea of hope. But hope is so essential to this journey. Let me give you one of the first scriptures. You probably saw at a football game. John 3, 16. Some people are like, oh, that's a scripture? I thought that was somebody's number. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right? And we hear that and we're like, yeah. Look at all the ingredients of that. For God so loved. It's because of love for the world. Who's the world? That's everybody. For God so loved. There's the love factor. Okay? That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, there's the faith. Okay? Right? For God so loved the world. Whoever believes in him. Okay? Could you imagine if there was a period there? Boom. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him. Period. It just doesn't make sense. But then there's the hope factor. If you believe in him, you will have everlasting life. Ladies and gentlemen, this spiritual journey, this thing called Christianity, really only makes sense if all three of those things are involved. Because I have faith in God. Why do I have faith in God? Because Jesus died. Great. Why did he die? Because he did. So what? No, he died in our place for our sins, and then if we would receive the work he did on the cross, then we can have eternal life. So in other words, I believe what I believe today because of the hope I have for the future. Are you with me? But see, if I only have hope, it doesn't make any sense. My hope has to be grounded in the faith, in faith of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because hope without faith is simply just a wish. It'd be great if one day I could live forever. What's that based on? Just, it would be awesome. No, we can have hope today because of the work that Jesus Christ did. But I can have faith today because my hope is hoping for something greater in the future. Are you with me this morning? And Paul, in one of his very first letters he ever writes to anybody, says, hey guys, you're going to need this hope that produces this endurance. Paul writes about this again in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, when he talks about, then these three solid things remain, faith, hope, and love. 
Now, the greatest of these is love because that's what's happening now with people, but you need faith, hope, and love. What is hope? What is hope? Hope, according to the definition, hope is the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. What I wanted was off the elevator. My hope was that one day I will be off the elevator. Because of that, I could endure the moment I was in. Are you with me? Hope is what parents have and what they show their children when they have to go grocery shopping. Now, we only have two, and I look at some of you that have three or four, and I'm like, man, my hat's off to you. Look, no hat. It's off to you. All right? I don't know how y'all do it. I, saw, I was walking through Costco. Now, my kids are old enough to where, you know, we can leave them home for brief periods of time, for, you know. And so I ran to Costco. And I didn't take kids. Costco, not too far away. I go, and I walk in, and there was a mom in there by herself. No dad. And she had four kids. Now, to make things worse, they were four boys. I know how boy, bad boys are. I is one. Okay. And they were all like four years or under, and I just walked by, and I was like, wow, impressive, right? But we instill hope into our grocery shopping. Kids, come here. We're going to go grocery shopping, and if it's successful, at the end of this, you're going to get an ice cream cone, right? So at any moment when you're shopping, you can turn your kids to ice cream and what do they do? They shut up and they're like, oh, okay. And in their mind, they're like, I think I can, I think I can, I think, right? They're enduring this shopping trip for the hope of the ice cream. Is somebody with me? Okay. Now, if you're single in here or maybe you don't have kids yet, you can't relate to that. But, but hope is what you had when you were in a dating seasons. Anybody remember the dating seasons? Hope is what happens when the first relationship doesn't work out. I know some of you are so spiritual in here, you're like, I knew exactly which one I was supposed to marry. Dated one person, got married. For the rest of us, hope is what you have after the first one didn't work out. A relationship that ended badly, and it just, you know, and you thought, man, I'm never going to date anybody again. And then like 30 hours later, you're like, I wonder if there's somebody out there for me. Right? And the hope that, man, there's got to be somebody out there for me keeps you going back to a dating season until you finally find that one. And then you wonder, what was I thinking? No, I was kidding. It was a joke, people. Hope. This is hope. The reason I have faith today, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, if you're anything like me, it took me a long time when I just kind of stare at that scripture and be like, what? Faith is the substance of things hope. What, 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 what are they talking about? Because a lot of times I think we, we think of faith and hope as, as synonymous. They're the same thing. They're not. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Right now I'm hoping for a fan because I'm really hot. I'm sweating profusely. Don't ask for the definition of that because I don't know what it is. Faith is the substance of the fan I'm hoping for. Okay? 
the substance of things hoped for. What's the hoped for thing? It's the fan. Faith, what is that? That's, well, we know that's my belief and my knowledge of God, okay? So my belief and knowledge of God is producing the little fan blades. Come on, somebody. In the cage in which it's contained, I want the fan. It is my hope in the promises of God. It's my hope in what God spoke to me here. That's why the Bible says this in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When I read my Bible, I'm reading the promises of God. And as I read the promises of God, man, I begin to have hope for something better. Now, the ultimate better, we're hoping for the return of Jesus, eternal life. Are you with me? But I hope for something better because I begin to hope, like, oh, my gosh, he promised this and he promised that. Man, he probably, man the Bible says he's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I'm looking at it now. I don't see it. But you know what? The hope that he's going to provide all of a sudden begins to stir up my faith now so I can begin to live a certain way now. Are you with me this morning? I read my Bible and I see that he is Jehovah Rapha. Thank you. I don't know what grade he got in his school of ministry, but he now has an A. All right? So erase the F, Dre. It's draw a line straight down on the other side, A, okay? He's Jehovah Rapha, my healer, my health. I read that in Scripture, although I might not feel it now. All of a sudden, hope begins to rise up that, you know what, one day I can have healing. So because one day I can have healing, I begin to live in faith now. And he writes this young church. He says, hey, guys. There's something I didn't tell you about. You're going to need some endurance. And that endurance comes from hope in Jesus Christ. Let me wrap this thing up. Is anybody getting anything out of this this morning? The Bible says in Romans 5.5 that hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Hebrews 6.18-19 talks about hope being in the future promises of God. And I love verse 19 because it says that hope is the very anchor for our soul. It's the very thing that keeps us anchored. Hope is the anchor for our soul. Hebrews 12, 2, one of the great passages. Maybe you've heard it before. If you've grown up in church. If not, you're going to hear it this morning. Hebrews 12, 2, it talks about us running a race. And let us run this race that is set before us. Let us run it with endurance, the Bible says. Putting aside sin and the weight that so easily comes upon us. Running with endurance. Looking unto who? Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? It was the hope that people would be saved. And so he endured the cross. Hope produces endurance. Hope produces endurance. Now, obviously, I mentioned earlier there's other things that produce endurance. If, if you look at this analogy of a race, which Hebrews 12 does, man, the spiritual journey, it's like a race. And if you're training for a race, man, that builds up your endurance. That training in that activity builds up your endurance. And the Bible even talks about exercising yourself toward godliness in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Philippians 2.12 says, man, you got to work out your salvation. There's this idea of exercising, and it produces endurance. Isaiah 40.31, which is in the Old Testament, 
it, it says there's another way that we get endurance, and it says that we get rest when we wait upon the Lord. Another way that you get endurance, I experienced it last Tuesday night in my basketball game. We only had five guys. The other team had nine. And then about three-quarters of the way through that game, man, I was looking over to the bench wanting a sub, no subs. Oh, man, I was beat. But that momentary rest can rebuild your endurance. But Paul writes here of an endurance you need when you're going through it, in the middle of it, right now. You can't stop and rest. You're pushing through. You can't stop and train. You're running the race. And Paul says this, there is an endurance that comes from hope and the hope in the promises of God. As I was studying for this message and just meditating on God's Word, I felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, Ben, there's people in Canvas Church that are in the middle of it right now. Now, 1 Thessalonians, as it's written by Paul to the church at Thessalonica, they were in the middle of doubt. They're in the middle of uncertainty. There's people in Canvas Church that are in that season right now. They don't have time to be trained. There is no time for rest. You need to give them this message. Tell them to focus on the promises of God. Tell them to think about the Word, but also tell them to think about what are the things that God has promised you? What are the things that God has spoken to you? Maybe you're here this morning and say, I don't even know that, that God has fully ever spoken to me, but I love what Joe said this morning. You're here. You're here. You showed up, and he's speaking now. There's somebody or somebody's in here this morning. Because I know what it's like. I know what it's like to, to grow up in church. I know what it's like to be away from church for seasons. I know what it's like to be going through a difficult season. And in that difficult season, someone just come up to you and be like, oh, just, just trust God. I, I am. But... I just don't see it. And, and here's the reality. It's possible to have faith without hope. It's possible to have hope without faith. Stay in one long enough, it'll produce the other. Matter of fact, I, I know what it's like to have this hope but still be uncertain. The New Testament church knew what that was like. In, in the book of Acts, which I've referenced several times this morning, if you want to know where that's at, just kind of go back to the left a little ways. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you want to read the, the narrative of what was happening in Thessalonians, go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 actually talks about the journey that Paul, Silas, and Timothy took. But if you rewind back even a little bit further, I believe it's Acts chapter 5, there's a story about a guy named Peter, and he's in prison. He's in prison for his faith. And Peter, I mean, he was a big dude in the New Testament church. So now all the people hear that he's arrested, and they're, they're kind of like, ah, oh, that's not good for us. So they pull away and they go, and the Bible says they began to pray. Peter's in prison, but the church is praying. 
And they're praying that Peter be released. And as they're praying that Peter be released, something's taking place over here in prison. It's a phenomenal story. Angel appears. Peter thinks he's seen a vision, but it's happening in real time. Doors open, guards frozen. It's a phenomenal story. The Bible's pretty cool. And Peter just walks out, but he thinks he's, he thinks he's in a vision. Then he finally gets out and he realizes, wow, this is really happening. And he gets led to the house where the church is actually praying for him. Church is praying, Peter's in prison. And I know most of us are probably thinking, like, that is a powerful church right there. That is a faith-filled, amazing church. Knock on the door. Knock on the door. Little girl comes and answers the door. And it's like, Peter, what up? I don't know if she shuts the door on Peter or what, but Peter doesn't walk in with her. So I, my, my, just like, like, who was it? Oh, it's Peter. You know what the response is? No, it's not. Peter's dead. Nah, it's not Peter. Think about this for a minute. They were not praying prayers of faith. Because if they had been, then I'd be like, sweet, let him in. We knew it. They didn't know it. They were praying because that's what the church does. What are we going to do? Pray. We just got a bad report. Pray. But I'm going to be honest with you as your pastor. There are so many times I pray for the church. There are so many times I pray for you. There's so many times I pray for people that are just like knuckleheads that aren't getting it. And I have zero faith for you. Thanks, Pastor. There are so many times when I pray for myself, for this church, for what God's having me do, and I'm kind of like, God, it's five and a half years in. And God, we were, we were, we were clearly supposed to be in Petco Park by now. That's where my faith was at five and a half years ago. And then in the middle of it, I'm praying prayers, but they're not prayers of faith. You know what they are? They're prayers of hope. God, there's a little promise you promised me a while ago. No, he didn't promise me Petco. It was Qualcomm, but either way. Um, God, there's some things you promised me. I'll be honest with you, God, that the more time goes by, the promise begins to get a little dimmer. Because the promise begins to get a little dimmer, my faith grows a little colder. It's like a sporting team, right? When they get down so far, what does the, the commentator say? Well, it looks like they've given up hope. Why? Because there's only five minutes left, and it's, it's, ah, it doesn't look like we're going to win. All of a sudden, what do you see? You see them playing differently on the field. 
They're not running as fast. They're not playing as competitively. They're not being as aggressive. Why they've given up hope? Why did they give up hope? Because the outcome they desired is no longer obtainable in their mind. Paul says, guys, got to get some hope because it produces some endurance. Because when you're running this marathon called Christianity, you're going to want to throw in the towel. You're going to want to call it quits. But if you keep focusing on Jesus Christ and the promise he has for you, hope will produce an endurance. And that endurance will carry you through whatever season you're going through. School of ministry students, you just finished. All of the knowledge you've learned over the last 10 months does you no good unless you have hope. Hope without faith, it's just a wish. But faith without hope is an unobtained promise because you end up giving up. Paul writes this young church, guys, there's something you need. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. There's something you need. You need hope that produces endurance. In your marriage, when things get a little rocky, if they happen to, you know you need to revisit? You need to revisit those vows that you said to each other. For better, for worse, for rich, for poor, till death do we part. And you realize the only way out of it is if there's a death. When you're walking through that difficult season, when you're in that season of uncertainty, when you don't even really necessarily have the faith that it's going to work out, we need to revisit the promises of God and let hope be stored inside of us. That will eventually produce a faith that causes us to walk it out right now. God, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.